Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Thank you too, Father. Thank you for all you're doing for us and uh, working all things together for our good, drawing us into your kingdom more and more every day. Thank you, Lord, for rebuilding your kingdom and um, going beyond the former reign to the latter reign. Hallelujah. All right, um, we're, we're going to call this God Will Lead and Empower the Weak. Praise be to God. And I'm going to start out with Samuel Fire, and he uh, named it A Coming Age of Change, 319.23. I sought the Lord regarding what period of time we are in, what point in time are we in? And what I heard him say was, there is a coming age of change soon. Get ready. I felt there is something very serious to be the priority, the life of Christ in us. And there is a short time frame left to be completely on his side. No fence sitting. Get away from the fence and come into the flock of the shepherd, in other words. I then saw a seed sprouting. I saw it from a side point of view, and I could see partway into the soil. It was planted at the correct depth, and the soil looked rich, fertile, well watered. The seed had only just broken open, and a first shoot sprouted and started to take root. I felt this was the beginning of the next phase of the Father's perfect plan, where the birth of the man-child is to come forth. I then heard him say, That is the time that we are in. Okay. Well, then, we are at the beginning of the tribulation as uh, the new time period of change. Uh, Revelation 12, 1-6. And a great sign was seen in heaven, a woman arrayed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was with child, and she cried out travailing and in pain to be delivered. And another sign was seen in the heaven, uh, and lo, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his heads seven diadems. And his tail draweth a third part of the stars of heaven, and he cast them to the earth. The stars of the heavens, of course, um, we're already told in the scripture, were Abraham's seed. And uh, this is a falling away, obviously. And we've been watching that. 
And the dragon standeth before the woman about to be delivered, that when she is delivered he may devour her child. Well, that's the attempt of the dragon to take out the man-child, the repetition of history that happens in our day, for these are the things that are to come to pass hereafter, he told John. So it couldn't be the original Jesus manifestation, but it's, it's just like it because it's a repeat of history. And she was delivered of a son, a male, who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and unto his throne. That is dominion. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath there a place prepared of God, that there they may nourish her a thousand two hundred and threescore days. So there's your beginning of your three and a half years right there. Okay. So being near the beginning of the first three and a half years in Samuel's revelation uh, confirms very well the next two revelations. Okay, um, this one is uh, America, a 10-year prophetic word. It was given to Prophet Ken Dewey, 10, 22, and 20. And uh, this is uh, a time uh, sequence and uh, did my best to tried to get something out of it. I'm not sure I got it all, but um, I think I got pieces anyway. But according to Ken, the most uh, current 10-year prophetic cycle begins with January 2021. And we will start with a previous 10-year period that we're going to talk about, and then we'll talk about that one that we're in now, okay? And as we will see, I have made some educated guesses uh, with this time period, um, uh, which seems to fit, or these time periods, which seems to fit. The Lord said I could uh, write this commentary of end-time events. The ten years is ending, spoken in ten, twenty-two, and twenty, that, that ten years was ending, okay? And another begun. Uh, that's the one, of course, that we're in now. And the Lord has been speaking to me now in a ten-year periods in ten-year periods of time. Events in my life have been involved, and then He has taken up the coming years and included prophetic ten-year periods. I have known it now for a long time. Personally. I have been moving in those time periods and hearing him talk to me about what is happening and what is coming. Just to bring it forward, I had a word from the Lord back in the middle of 2009 that said God had determined 10 years upon America beginning with January the 1st, 2010. That prophecy did come true, and I saw the whole ten years and much the Lord said about the ten years. We are now, um, and he's speaking this in 2020, we are now coming to that end. And I then heard the Lord speak about another ten years beginning with January of 2021. And after the first ten year passed by, he said there would be another ten years in America after uh, 2020, ending in 2030. The Lord said there would be a great revival like never before, 
after January of 2021. And The thing I heard is that it would be during a time of darkness, yet light. In other words, the world will still be reeling from the events happening. And I believe following the coming election time when U.S. President Donald J. Trump is going to win, which, of course, he did win, and it's going to be proven, obviously, Uh, I am saying to you, this has been a prophetic word for America, for I am an American prophet. I have heard the Lord talk about Obama and why he became president. And I have heard about President Donald Trump and why he was elected. I have been through all of this, and the Lord has told me what was happening. I am but one who has been told, and I have and I am blessed to hear. I must be only his voice and speak only what he says. There will be a great war breaking out of civil unrest in America in the coming ten years. This, uh, this is my thought. Uh, this fits with all that we've seen after the man-child comes, uh, the red horse of war comes in Revelation 6 and 4, just after the man-child ministry begins, right? And I want to say that I think I have the same revelation as he has concerning those those uh, horses, and that is that they're not one, it cuts off, and then the next one starts, and then it cuts off. These are continuing. Um, so... Th- What's happening is the fire is being turned up with these different judgments, right? But just know that this will work in favor of the revival. Amen. We've we've learned that too, because God will use this backdrop of civil war to awaken many people in America. The church is awakening and will awake to new life as we move into this coming time. The church in America has been sleeping for some time. But the Lord said to me, the church will awaken and rise up. The real church, churches the called out ones, the, the people that don't come out aren't the church, right? Will awaken and rise up, even as the children of Israel in Egypt rose up and walked out of Egypt. And what? Into tribulation, right? The wilderness was a tribulation, according to Revelation chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 17. And what I've been hearing in 10-year increments is about America. I've not heard that it is uh, for all the world. Uh, so he doesn't know what happens beyond America. But he goes on to say, but what happens in America will affect all the world. That's true. Because of the prominence of America in the world. And what happens to America will definitely affect the other nations. The Lord did not, I repeat, did not say at the end of 2030 he was coming back. Well, we don't expect that he would do that, right? It could be true, but we don't know that, and he's not saying that, okay? As a matter of fact, he has never told me anything about that, except that there will not be a traditional rapture. That is a pre-trib, all-flyaway rapture. 
but that there would be a hiding of many people on earth for protection. Yes, we've seen that too. Yeah, that's what the wilderness is all about. Right? Uh, of course, there's no pre-trib rapture, but Father will hide those who are alive and remain in the secret place of the Most High. Right? He's not telling anyone, um, he goes on to say, when he is coming back again. He said to me, only my father knows the time. But I will say this, that he has talked to me about there being more time to work than men think. We have a job to do all the way through the tribulation period. And the people that that are prepared for this, this is when our job starts. Because when the people are tribulated, they listen. They don't listen in peace and prosperity. That's why it's not coming except for a very short time, right? He said that there would be time to build my assignment in the desert. He talked much about the coming kingdom of heaven coming down and him setting up a thousand-year kingdom uh, on this earth, right? The, the saints, of course, are in a glorified body, and they rule over the people who are in physical bodies on the earth. That's my statement, okay? That he would rule over. The building of Desert Zion is tied to that prophetically because he talked about how he would need thrones set up over the world. True. From where he would rule in the kingdom. And let me say that there is more than just one Zion. (laughs) Okay, they're going to be all over the world. And he said to me, I will walk right into Desert Zion in those days. Yes, he is coming into Desert Zion in those days. Desert meaning wilderness, right? Even in the New Testament, the word desert is, uh, in some places, is the same word for wilderness. Okay. He said he wanted it to be a beautiful place, and he has said, do not build anything except my way. He has not let me put up anything like temporary buildings such as metal buildings or shipping containers or trailer houses or whatever. He has given me a small 16-foot trailer, an old 1965 Forester. But he said, uh, it is only a place to rest while you build. Amen. I wait every day hoping to get that go-ahead Uh, on building in Desert Zion, but I hear him keep talking about uh, not building until something happens out there, and I believe underground, which will change the whole area. Yes, uh, we have heard the same thing, and uh, from what we've heard, it's earthquakes, among other things, earthquakes, that are going to change the ground. So this is uh, one reason for waiting, and I, it, true, uh, you know, uh, people need to not settle in places that they don't know are safe, uh, right? And so, so this is one reason for waiting, and I have pressed into uh, building, but it keeps moving out in the future. I cannot write this commentary of prophetic events without talking about what God is doing with me personally and with Desert Zion and the messages that he is giving me uh, for the end days. So some of the things you're going to hear from him are very similar to the things that you've heard from me. 
And this, uh, because this is not just one place that God is doing this, obviously. And uh, there are Moseses already uh, to, to walk out into the wilderness. Okay. There is definitely coming a kingdom, and with it a king. Amen. The king of kings and lord of lords. And I believe some here now will watch it come. And they, slash we, uh, God willing, and we are worthy, uh, will rule with him in that kingdom. This day in which we live is right now, dovetailing into that coming kingdom, and all the tribulation will precede its coming. Uh, so he's talking about the kingdom um, that is, is ruling over the earthly people after the tribulation, right? We are living in the threshold of the tribulation now, and after that time of seven years, his kingdom will begin on earth. Right now, we are just waiting for the events to happen. At that time, let me say that his kingdom will rule over those in physical bodies. You know, at the end of the tribulation period, beginning of the great and terrible day of the Lord, the ark lifts off. God's people are then in a spiritual body, and they reign and rule with Christ over those who are on the earth. Okay, a lot of people don't understand that when they read the book of Revelation, but that's what's going to happen. So here's another one from Ken that fits pretty good. Uh, Go set my people free. Desert Zion. What the Lord said to me about being now, 12 one almost 80 years old. Back in 2007, I was talking with the Lord out in the remote desert, and I heard him say to me, You, Ken Dewey, will be my... Moses man, and you will go to set my people free. And this would, of course, represent a man-child. Okay, praise God. I told him then, Lord, but I am not Moses, and it is but vain to think I ever can be. But he insisted and then proceeded to tell me I, I would do certain things to help his people be free from bondage. Well, of course, there is an anointing coming on those who have chosen to be a Moses or a man-child. That anointing is going to make the difference. Uh, Ken, like everybody else in his position, uh, doesn't feel capable. And we're not <laughs> capable. So, so now it is years later, and I heard him talking about Moses and his age and Moses' call. He said Moses was born and raised in Egypt, and he lived there for 40 years before he fled Egypt to go into the desert. Mm-hmm. Yep, Moses didn't set the people free until after his 40-year trial in the wilderness, right? Mm-hmm. And Moses landed upon a desert place called Median, and there he became a common sheep herder. He lived in Median until he was some 80 years old, and then he saw the burning bush and heard God say, I will send you, Moses, to set my people free who are in bondage in Egypt. At the time the Lord told me the above about Moses, I asked him, 
but Lord, I am a washed-out preacher living on the backside of the desert, and I have no means to go and set anyone free. Well, you can see, you know, what some people think who have been chosen to do this, that anointing and that wisdom and that direction will come when it's necessary, right? He said, nevertheless, you will go for me, and and so I am telling you now, uh, so you will know. Just plan on going. Do as I tell you, and I will show you what to do, even as I did Moses. I asked the Lord uh, just the other day, or a few days ago, Lord, are you now going to wait for me to turn 80, Uh, which would be in February of 2023. That's when it was, right? Uh, To help me go set the people free? Is this what I am waiting for? Will I have to be 80 to fully see again Egypt land from which I came out here into this desert from? Which Moses did the same, right? Okay. I heard him say, yes, when you turn 80, you will be sent with great power and blessings and you will see the work accomplished that I am sending you to do. Uh, So... At that particular time, you know, uh, in February, he turned 80, but he's still 80. But he's only going to be 80 for a short time, (laughs) right? Oh, Lord, but I will be 80. Am I not too old to build in the desert? No, he said, you are only as old as you think you are. Just move forward and I will bless you, even as I did Moses with good health. Yes, he did. There's a restoration coming, Ken. He then said to me, You know Moses lived to be 120. (laughs) Uh, That is very symbolic. And, of course, we know that uh, all the Moseses will live to be that old and much older. (laughs) Oh, Lord, I said, Am I going to live that long? He said, I am that I am, and I can do whatever I want with my people. I know this sounds very like a very personal word. Some here may even think uh, I am being vain, but believe me, I am no. I have no intention of that. I want to only share what God has said to me, and I want to walk out on His word by faith, believing. I want to tell you on February the twenty eighth, two thousand twenty three next year, uh, which is uh, only 90 days away at that time, I will turn 80. So so here we see that uh, we have a time period here from February the 28th of 2023 to uh, February the 27th of 2024 when he can become a Moses and be 80. He would be in his 80s. 80th year. I have I have been living here in this desert land of New Mexico for some 35 years and counting. This personal word is uh, mine, and I now walk out on it. I am believing that God is going to help me with supernatural health, strength, and all in the accomplishing of the building of Desert Zion in this desert. And, of course, that is supposed to be a refuge there just like uh, we are in a refuge here. I am believing God that he will set his people free from bondage and they will go out to serve the Lord 
even if I am old and 80. Yes, yes, he will. That will make no difference whatsoever because a restoration is coming. <laughs> so uh, here's one given to Tiana Fire on 2523. We called it Waiting for Our Wilderness Assignments. I dreamt that Samuel and I and many brethren were living together in a building that was like a motel. I had separate uh, it had separate bedrooms but had a joint kitchen, a lounge room and other main areas. And in the dream we were waiting for David Eels to come to where we were. Well, this represents communal living as uh, in the uh, original church in Acts. And David Eels here probably represents the David man-child reformers. Each of us could individually contact David personally any time. However, we would leave this place without David being here with us or without specific instructions from him. David um, here, I believe, represents the man-child David reformers who will lead the body through the wilderness like Moses, and the wilderness is the tribulation. Uh, Revelation 12 and 6 says, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath there a place prepared of God. Uh, that's the refuge. And there they, the man-child Moseses, may nourish her a thousand two hundred and threescore days. So there's the three and a half years that the man-child uh, first feeds the woman, right? in the first three and a half years of tribulation period. I would message uh, and call with David for advice any time that he would always answer, and other brethren did the same. We all kept asking David when he will come, and he always said he will come soon. So we all kept seeking the Lord each day, awaiting patiently for him to come. We were desiring David to come so much, and we battled impatience, for we were excited for him to come and for us to be sent out and used for God's work. Let me say something that at this point, uh, although I believe all of this, I have to say that the one we are waiting to come is the Lord. The flesh profits nothing. He can use donkeys. It is the Lord is coming, you see. Not the way they say. They're going to miss him this time, just like they missed him last time, uh, because history repeats. But it's the Lord that's coming. And he's, the Bible says he will come as the latter rain. Yes. All of us were so eager to go out, but we knew we couldn't go unless David was here, and unless he said for us too. Well, you know, the man-child will come first, and the woman will be ready to follow. That's the way it worked in the original type, right? David came to where we were when we least expected it. <laughs> and we were all so excited that he was now here with us. Matthew 24 and 44. So this, this David that's coming is, of course, the anointed David. David is on the earth already, but the anointing that is coming that is going to catch them up to the throne of dominion, authority over the beast and over the curse and so on and so forth. 
So David came to where we were when we least expected it, and we were also excited that he was now here with us. Matthew 24 and 44, Therefore be ye also ready, for in the hour that you think not, the Son of Man cometh. And David said that we needed to get food, so all of us together drove to the grocery store in three cars. The food representing the word, We were all packed in close together as there were so many of us. I kept asking David many questions about the future and what's going to happen and what we are going to do. He assured me that God has the perfect plan and we need to trust Him and, uh, and in His perfect timing. When we arrived at the grocery store, there was nobody there, although the doors were open and unlocked. So it's free, right? (laughs) But the lights uh, were off. And when we walked inside, the lights turned on. So evidently there's light inside. And, And David said for us to get what we want and need, and it's all free because he owns it. Well, yes, we we give our spiritual food away for free, like Jesus commanded us to do. I believe all man-child ministries out there are doing that. Um, we all went and, and grabbed everything we needed and wanted, and we didn't get more than we needed, but what was good for this time, not for the future. Uh, well, that kind of fits with Exodus sixteen eighteen through 19. Uh, and when they measured it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. And Moses said unto them, Let no man leave of it until the morning. So that's all you need to walk by faith, is to eat what you've got to eat today, right? And we all went back to the motel with David, and we all tarried for a few weeks, seeking the Lord together. Then David started assigning specific tasks to couples or small groups of people. David told each of them where they will be going and what they will be used for, and he was assigning them their tasks. This was the same thing Jesus did with the disciples when he sent them out in couples, right? It was made known uh, that no one was going to stay here now, but that we were all being sent out to different areas. But we will be together again one day. And uh, we can each contact David any time. We had all this time together, but now God wanted to use us all apart. Some people were sent to uh, other first world countries, and some to communist countries, but few stayed in our home country. Matthew five fourteen through 16 they give, Ye are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but upon the lampstand, and it shined unto all those in the house. Thus, let your light shine before men, that you may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in the heavens. Amen. And too much salt in one area is bad for the earth. 
and for food. In the, the book of Acts, brethren were scattered. Jesus sent people into different areas. That's right. And they kept moving because there was a persecution going on. So they kept moving. Sometimes they turned around and passed back through, but they kept moving, you know. Most brethren had now left to fulfill their mission in the areas that they were told. Some went in groups of threes, some twos, and some fours. David called Samuel and I to him, and I noticed that Samuel was much shorter in the dream than he is in real life. I believe this probably represents humility, it would be my guess. David told us that we are being sent to other countries to share the real word as missionaries. I said, that makes sense because I always preferred the people in third world countries and their simple living rather than western countries. We, we weren't told which country we were being sent to first, but we're told we were being relocated to a, a new motel in the desert, which is the wilderness, right? where we would await instructions on when to go to the other countries. And I felt this was the start of something big. But uh, we were being trained and uh, seeking the Lord. Uh, let me point out that uh, they're not in this country, and there's many people who join us, you know, by um, computer and by uh, different methods. Um, from other countries, and they're just a part of us. You know, all of them are a part of us. So don't don't consider that what she's saying is um, that that's just for this country. Okay, this is going to be a worldwide thing. The next thing I remember was we were in a small brick motel in a desert, and there were no other people around except a few brethren that were also staying in the motel. David called us and said uh, he would visit soon, but we are to wait for him. And then I woke up. Well, okay. Um, some other uh, help here. Uh, Marie Kelton, uh, 210.23, shared this. He leads me beside still waters. So during the worship at the meeting, the Lord spoke to me and said, I will lead you to green pastures and still waters, for I am the good shepherd. Amen. Uh, I, I believe that the Lord is going to lead the bride differently than the church. The church has to go through tribulations just like the bride has and be persecuted just like the bride has. Okay. So it's time for the bride to come into their green pastures. Okay, I had a vision while the Lord was speaking of a grassland, and I saw Jesus as a shepherd with a shepherd's staff and a, and a sheep walking beside him. I saw other sheep coming up behind him and following him, and the Lord then came to a creek and sat down with his staff and the sheep came up close to him. Uh, well, these verses came to my mind, she said. Uh, Psalm 23, 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. And also John 10, uh, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd layeth down his life for the sheep. Amen. Well, the Lord is uh, got a wonderful provision in the wilderness. He's got people trained already for this and so on. Okay, this was given to Eve Brast on 411 and 23. A bigger supply of living waters. Hmm. I dreamed I was back down in Texas on a sunny day standing on Calendar Road in front of the property with the two mobile homes that my dad, representing the father, had given me for an inheritance. Texas means a house of friends. The sunny day represents the light of the sun, S-O-N slash S-U-N, shining down upon the just and the unjust. Calendar Road represents a time frame in which God is currently working, as we will see. The land for an inheritance was what God promised Abraham and his faithful seed. And he's promised us too. On the front, one quarter acre was an old dingy off-white double wide that was quite dilapidated. This dilapidated house represents the apostate church that has fallen away from God. It was overgrown with shrubbery and vines, and there was an old hillbilly family standing out on the front deck with their arms folded, glaring with resentment and disapproval at what was going on around the ditch at the front of the land. (laughs) In real life, my dad had sold that portion of our land to an old widow that belonged to our church, and she moved her double-wide trailer onto it. She and my dad did not get along and were in a subtle feud for many years afterwards. Yes, and the father has been trying to get the apostate church on his side for some time. So he told me uh, when he was still alive that he had always regretted selling it to her. Well, she goes on to say, the apostate church has been in a feud with true Christianity for centuries, and they have made themselves enemies of God. They like their dead religions and resent they they resent the true living waters of the sum of His Word. Very true, very true. They can't stand it. I was watching a construction crew with safety uh, vests and hard hats using a backhoe to dig out the old water pipes that had been feeding the property. And they were laying down much larger water pipes to service the land now. And she says, this represents more power of the living waters for revival and miracles and signs and wonders, uh, the latter and the former rain anointings. I agree. They were having to tunnel underneath 
the dilapidated double-wide at the front of the property in order to bypass it and provide a much larger quantity of water to my dad's land. This is exactly as a vision I had uh, about God bypassing them with the power lines. The old cow, remember? The apostate church will miss out on what God is doing in these last days if they don't repent of their waterless doctrines and come out of her, meaning the harlot. And this was one of the reasons that they were unhappy because they were no longer going to have any water connection. So they were totally bypassed with this, exactly in the vision I had many years ago. So God will take away what anointing they do have. You know, usually you can't trust them to share anything, but maybe Jesus is the Son of God, and some of them don't even handle that right, okay? So they can't be trusted beyond that point to tell you the truth because they don't have the foundation, right? So the heavenly golden fluid train, we're calling this one, uh, Claire Pinar, 131-23. I had a quick dream. I saw Rian and I in a train with many cars. In this dream, I represent the bride because my name means brilliant and the bride's garments are bright and pure, like in Revelation 19 and 8. It was given unto her that she should array herself in fine linen, bright and pure, for the vine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And Rion represents the man-child as his name means little lion king. Rion said this, he said, Trains only go on tracks that have already been laid out before them. This is true. Representing the predestined, called, and elect traveling, the narrow way laid out for us by following Christ. This train, however, is traveling in the heavenlies. It is a spiritual journey. It was traveling above the air. There were no wheels. And Rion said, uh, Thus it is not works, but by faith that this train moves. It had a golden glow that intensified the higher up it went. And Rion said, Representing purified gold. We were collecting others along the way. It was a fluid train, not rigid. I would say it was a spiritual train. I saw some some being left behind, but I saw others, brand new to the gospel, come in and journey with us. So that reminds me of let no man take thy crown, right? Amen. Okay, then this revelation Matthew Stewart got to one twenty-three. Holy Spirit prayers bring power. Amen. When I had this dream, I was in that area where you are half asleep and half awake. In the dream, this thought popped into my head. How powerful is it to be on your knees? As soon as I thought this, I immediately saw a vision in the dream of a man, 
and this man was going on to his knees. And when his knees got to about four inches above the ground, my vision zoomed in to watch his knees slowly go to the ground until they touched the ground. And when his knees touched the ground, I immediately felt the power of the Holy Spirit in my physical body. While I was sleeping, while this man was on his knees, he was praising and praying to the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then I woke up. Amen. A good exhortation to pray, to humble yourself which is a symbolic thing about getting on the knees. Not that getting on your knees is not a good thing, but uh, humble yourself and pray to the Lord. Pray with power. The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. So another one here. The fire of the Holy Spirit surrounds us. Tiana Fire, 2.13.23. I felt to write this testimony down of what I have seen to encourage others that the Lord uses us even when we don't think He is, and He gets all glory and everything is about Him. True. I have seen this in the Spirit a few times when driving, and today when I was walking out in public, I saw in the Spirit hot and bright fire everywhere where we were standing and driving everywhere behind us where we walked. And as we walked along, the fire followed and left a trail of sparks from the fire. The fire would cleanse and sanctify the area, and unclean spirits would flee, and the fire would leave a cleaner presence. I felt strongholds breaking in the area around us just because of the presence of Jesus in us. In spirit, I saw the fallen angels and the principalities of the area look and see the fire in the spiritual realm. And I believe the fire is Jesus or the Holy Spirit, and I believe this happens with all of us, brethren, and all that have Jesus living in them. And when praying in the holy tongues or speaking uh, the word in the spirit, the fire burns brighter and has a more powerful effect on the area that we walk on and the area around us. But even when not praying, the presence is still there. And I felt the fire or presence pushing back the darkness and the evil spirits roaming about can see it, and so can the evil spirits inside of people. Also, when we are uh, around people in public, I can see how the fallen angels inside people know who Jesus is in us, and that the Holy Spirit is in us without us and doing anything but standing there. The human soul can see it too, And either people completely reject the light and can't look at us, or they start manifesting demons or avoiding us. Some people don't understand the light but are interested, and I believe they are the people that God is drawing. 
Sometimes there are people that are so attracted to the light that they come up to us to speak with us, wanting to know about the light that we have. We have had times when children come up to us and stared at us or talked to us as they don't understand that it is Jesus, but they can sense it spiritually. Sometimes their parents want nothing to do with the light. There have been times when people involved in New Age or illegal assessing, uh, accessing the spiritual realm have seen the light in us, but I don't think they quite understand that the light is Jesus. Even if we don't say or do anything, just the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in us is working and affecting the area around us, breaking strongholds, and bringing peace. Well, amen. So now we're back to Ken Dewey, because this fits at this point in um, our our scenario here. Uh, we call this, This One Thing I Have Learned About God, uh, April the 9th, 2023. In all my life of learning, mostly the hard way, in the school of the Lord or the dear school of hard knocks, it is this. The Lord has his own way of doing things. The things the Lord does are for men and past finding out because he is God and God is not limited to man's ideas or notions. No, the knowledge of God is all-consuming, for He knows everything. The Lord knows both the beginning and He knows the end. And I might add, He knows all the things in between. God is not even a man. The Scripture tells us in Numbers 23 and 19, God is not a man that He should lie, neither the Son of Man that He should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? So we should not be amazed to the ways of God when it comes to doing things. God can take all before him and make it work for his glory and for his good. Uh, God can, um, well, he is more than able and nothing is impossible for him. Amen. God can do it all. And when it is finished, he will say, along with everyone else who stands by uh, and sees what he has done, it is finished and it is good. Yes, when God gets through, that's what he's going to say. And actually, you know, uh, as far as uh, what was given to us at the cross, he said it back then. It is finished. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But there's a there's a manifestation finish, too, and that's what he's talking about here. Men look at the present troubles that are happening right now in this world around us and wonder what or how can it all be changed. Men may think they know the answers, only to find out later their ideas fall far short of solving uh, of all the problems. The ways of God are higher than the heaven above men's heads. 
Men left in their own understanding are told the natural man cannot even know or understand spiritual things or earthly things. The fact that men today are in perplexity, not even knowing what sex they are, uh, is this a small matter? I think not, because all any person must know is how to identify the sex by looking between their legs. Well, dumb and ignorant men try to even understand God, but they cannot even understand themselves. Well, it's total confusion, mass confusion out there, right? Our text today says or describes God in Isaiah 55, 8 through 11. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Amen. And this goes for uh, for what God goes on in uh, the nation. So men cannot even understand how to govern men, for they are ignorant and unlearned in the way of righteousness. We conclude that men can think and even say they know the answers, but we all know they really don't. They are as lost as a ball in high weeds. Yes, that's true. So now I'm going to share with you about our weakness and how God uses that to bring power into our lives. To all those who have struggled to please the Lord and do His will, this, I believe, will be good news. It will be a rest and a refreshing a casting down of the burden of salvation uh, in all its many facets by self-works. It is not in us to do these things, but in Him. Personal strength and determination will not be enough. As a matter of fact, it will get in the way. And, uh, and His way. He will wait until we give up so that he may give the free gift through faith that he also supplies the benefit. That's right. Many times he is waiting for us to finish our struggles, to bring something to pass, and just rest in him, rest in his promise, right? So Gideon was faced with an army that was like locusts for multitude, He gathered together all the manpower at his disposal. And all of this human strength stood in the Lord's way of doing a miracle for his glory. Man would certainly take the credit, and then others would not see the true source of our physical and spiritual salvation. In Judges 7 and 2, we're told, And the Lord said to Gideon, 
The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand has saved me. Hmm. At this point, the Lord proceeded to choose only 300 men and then gave them trumpets for weapons. <laughs> so in the natural, there was uh, none weaker than this army. Okay. So now the Lord could show that his power is made perfect in weakness. Yes, he could conquer the enemy with trumpets. <laughs> and, and, and what of David, who was naturally the youngest and smallest and weakest of Jesse's sons? When Samuel anointed him with the power of the Spirit, he went on to slay Goliath with a sling. How often is this scenario repeated throughout the Scriptures so that we might know that personal weakness is a true strength and it qualifies us for the Lord's power? We should refuse to size up the opposition, knowing that when the odds are against us, they're in our favor. Our victory is assured by the fact that it was accomplished already at the cross. Well, what uh, we each must do is become as a child because we can walk with the Lord if we become as a child. David was, you know, an older child, I would say, but a child. And the thing about grown-ups is that they're self-confident, self-sufficient, and independent. And all those traits the world thinks of as being positive. But in the kingdom, they're not considered so. And uh, the Lord says the only way that you can enter the kingdom is to be as a child. Well, we're in this process, folks, of entering the kingdom. That is, in every place in our life, he must rule, right? Jesus said, Suffer the little children to come unto me, forbid them not, for to such belongeth the kingdom of God. That's in Mark 10 and 14. Forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God, is what it said in the original. And verse 15, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall in no wise enter therein. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands upon them. Now, we tend to think of the kingdom as some place that we're going to so that we can enter into it. But actually, we're entering into the kingdom here. In reality, the kingdom is every place in your life. And Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you, Luke 17 and 21. The kingdom is every place in your life where God is able to rule. So the kingdom of God is growing in you, you know, like that baby inside, receiving nourishment and growing bigger and bigger until it's revealed to the world, right? So God's not able to rule until you're in agreement with Him. To be a child is to be confident in your Father, not self-confident. It's to be dependent upon your Father, not self-dependent. This is valuable to God. And as he said, 
my righteous one shall live by, literally it's uh, in the numeric, from faith. My righteous one shall live from faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Hebrews 10 and 38. Our faith is in God, not in ourselves, right? So what pleases God is that we live from faith, that we do not live from our self-confidence or our self-sufficiency or our own ability or the strength of the arm of the flesh, but that we put our trust in God and walk with Him like a little child walks with his father. In other words, there is no other way to enter the kingdom. We must give up being grown-ups. We must become as children. For God to be able to rule everywhere in our lives, we must become as children. Matthew 18 and 1 says, In that hour came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called to him a little child, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, except you turn and become as little children, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're here for, is to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So we have to become children, childlike. These were his disciples that he was telling this to, and these were not the apostate Pharisees. These were the disciples of Jesus, those who were learning from and uh, following him. He said, you will not enter in unless you turn and become as little children. The process of uh, the Christian life is this process of turning and becoming as little children and becoming God-dependent, God-sufficient, and God-confident. Matthew 18 and 4 says, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. You see, Jesus was like a little child. That's who he was. He says, if you receive one of these little children, you receive me. That's somebody who is in his likeness. He wasn't a grown-up in the ways of the world, in the ways of confidence in the world, the strength of the world. Grown-ups are known for making their own way, making their own living, being self-sufficient, being great providers, but the Lord wants to wash all that out of us. He wants us to put on all of our confidence and our trust in Him and become as little children. If you receive one such little child, you receive Jesus. That's the way that he was. He was confident in his Father. The best way that we can help ourselves is by walking by faith in God's Word. You've probably heard the old saying, God helps those who help themselves, but that's not found in the Bible. That saying is credited to Benjamin Franklin in his Poor Richard's Almanac. So, 
The best way to help yourself is walking in faith in God's Word. Romans 14 and 22. The faith which thou hast, have thou to thyself before God. That's what the Bible says. You can help yourself to everything that God has for you through faith in His Word. And Luke 10 and 21 says, In that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and of earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and understanding, and did reveal them unto babes. Yea, Father, for so it was well-pleasing in thy sight. So those considered wise and understanding in the ways of the world cannot receive this. As a matter of fact, they scoff at it. What was he talking about? Well, uh, reveal what things he has to the babes. The disciples asked him, and he took them aside privately and taught them the parables. The Pharisees were kind of dumbfounded. They did not know, and it's a good thing that they did not know what Jesus was saying. (laughs) Well, the disciples had just come back from being sent out by the Lord to take authority over the works of the devil. They came back rejoicing that God had given them authority over the power of the devil and that they had done the works of Jesus. And they saw that the spirits were subject unto them. But why did Jesus call them babes? Well, it was babes who received this revelation of the authority of Jesus. And it was babes who received this revelation of how to use the authority of Jesus. So let's back up a little in this chapter. Luke 10 and 3. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no wallet, no shoes, and salute no man on the way. So we see that they were babes because Jesus sent them out totally dependent upon himself. And into whatsoever house You shall enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace be there, your peace shall rest upon him. But if not, it shall turn to you again. And so he said, Salute no man on the way, because you really don't know people, uh, but you find out later who people are. We're going to find out before the end of the tribulation who people really are and who his children are. Um, The wicked will fall away. They've been putting on a pretty good act, but that's about it. It's skin deep, and they will fall away in the troubles and tribulations. So God sent these disciples out as children, as totally dependent upon the Lord, not self-sufficient, not able to take care of themselves, He deliberately took away their ability to take care of themselves when he sent them by not letting them take any kind of provision with them. He can do all things. He'll cause you to meet people 
whom he has put there specifically to supply your needs if you go by faith and be obedient to him. If you go as a child, just trusting in your father. Everybody in America wants to insulate themselves against anything that could happen, as though they don't believe in a sovereign God. And the Bible says a man can receive nothing except it have been given him from heaven. That's John 3 and 27. And this is because the Lord wants your relationship to be with him. Wherever you go, he is your provider. So God, who is sovereign, will make sure that he blesses you if you go by faith in him. Believe me, the time is coming when everybody is going to have to go by faith in God because he's going to take away all the things that people have insulated themselves with from the things that might happen in the world. But God is God. He never goes to sleep. He never uh, falls off the throne. He is there always. He is going to make sure that his word comes true and we can be just like little children. We can cast ourselves on his mercy. Children never even think about where the next meal is going to come from. Little children don't worry about those things. They just know that it's mom and dad's responsibility to take care of that. And you know, that's the way that God is with us. He wants that kind of relationship with us. God's not happy with anything less. Hebrews 10 and 38 says, My righteous one shall live from faith. And if he shrink back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So God doesn't have pleasure in self-sufficient people, self-made men, so to speak. He has pleasure in people who walk by faith and talk by faith and live by faith. It is a pleasure to live by faith. I don't uh, yet know all of what living by faith is. I uh, only know my own experience, but God uh, only shows me the little parts, but I would love to live by faith in every direction. And we learn by watching other people and by studying the Word and seeing uh, new things there. We just have to remember that is anything too hard for God? No. There isn't anything God won't do for those who put their trust in Him. There's nothing that God can't do and won't do for those who put their trust in Him. I believe this is the reason that He said He revealed these things unto babes. God reveals the authority of God, and God reveals the power of His name to people who will become children people who will cast care to the wind and put themselves in his hands, just trusting in him, believing in him. Ephesians 3 and 20 says, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Think about that. So God, God loves it when we are weak. But we don't see it that way. We like to be strong. 
and we do our best to make sure that we're strong in every situation that we get in. And as I said, we we do our best to insulate ourselves from any possible mishap, but that doesn't please God. It doesn't please God that we put our trust in the gods, with a little g, right, of this world, the saviors of this world. The Apostle Paul learned that lesson. He was caught up to paradise and said, On behalf of such a one, that is the man who was caught up to paradise, will I glory, but on mine own behalf I will not glory, save in my weaknesses. He gloried in his weaknesses, Second Corinthians 12 and 5. Because that's where he was made strong. The King James Version translates the word weaknesses there as infirmities. Because they had the idea that the Apostle Paul had some kind of sickness or infirmity. But a closer look at this reveals that's not the case at all. Those translators believed the Apostle Paul had an eye uh, disease or something like that, and that God said, My grace is sufficient for thee, in Second Corinthians 12 and 9. Meaning, you just keep that because you need that. You need that to be an overcomer. You need that to humble you. But obviously, that would be contrary to a lot of the rest of the Word. The Bible says, by whose stripes you were healed, 1 Peter 2.24. It doesn't say that we're healed only when we really need it. And it doesn't say that we're healed only sometimes. You were healed all the time. 2 Corinthians 12 and 6 says, For if I should desire to glory, I shall not be foolish. For I shall speak the truth, but I forbear, lest any man should account of me above that which he seeth me to be, or heareth from me. And by reason of the exceeding greatness of the revelations, that I should not be exalted overmuch, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, that I should not be exalted overmuch. So, he was being humbled, right? And so we see that he said what the thorn in the flesh was. He said it was a messenger of Satan. This is an angelos, where we get the word angel. A fallen angel of Satan. The word there is angelos, which is translated 181 times in the New Testament as angel and the other few times as messenger. But it means the same thing. It's the same Greek word, angelos. Here was an angel of Satan that was sent to buffet Paul so that he wouldn't be proud. Paul didn't say it was a sickness that was sent to buffet him. And, by the way, to buffet is not just one blow, like a sickness. It, it's, it's to beat over and over and over. It's many blows. But a thorn in the flesh 
in this case was an angel of Satan that was sent to buffet Paul. And it made him weak in many circumstances where he could see the power of God. So, in the Old Testament, for every verse that talks about a thorn in the flesh, not once is it ever a sickness. It was always referring to enemies of God's people that came against them. 2 Corinthians 12 and 8, Concerning this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he has said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for... My power is made perfect in weakness. So the King James here has the word as weakness. But this word is the word up in verse 5, and it is the same Greek word. So one of them can't be infirmity and the other one weakness. They must both be the same thing. And the truth is, that they are because using the same Greek word in talking about Jesus, the Bible says, for he was crucified through weakness. Second Corinthians 13 and 4. That's the same word. Now, nobody would have put infirmity there. Jesus wasn't crucified through infirmity. So they had to put the truth there. And the King James did use weakness in that case, but it's the same word where they used infirmity elsewhere. That's wrong, wrong. Okay, verse 4. For he was uh, crucified through weakness, yet he liveth through the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him through the power of God towards you. So through Weakness we receive the power of God, right? See, when you are weak in Christ, you're going to live through the power of God. It's when you are not able. It's being weak in the ability to save yourself, being weak in the ability to deliver yourself, being weak in the ability to heal yourself. He says, when you're in that condition, then God's power is going to be with you. What he wants is your faith, right? So this is the same thing Paul said back in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. And I'm pointing out this verse because in the King James, they use the word weakness here. And it could not be possibly... Uh, put as infirmity because we can't read anywhere in the Scriptures that Jesus was infirm, nor was he crucified because he was infirm. So now that the same word that's being used here and over in Second Corinthians 12 and 9, he said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You know, if we will be weak as a little child, God's power will be there. Most often, God's power is not there because we refuse to be weak. We want to be strong in a circumstance. We see what we think needs to be done, and we run to do it. 
and we're not ceasing from our works, and we're not entering into the Sabbath, uh, Hebrews 4.11. If we will refuse to be strong and we will put our trust in God, we will see His power every time. Man's extremity is God's opportunity, as they say, and it's so true. God's not ready to move until we cease from our works because we have faith. Every time you have faith, you can stop. You can cease from your work. You can cease from your struggling. You can cease from trying to save yourself because the Bible says you were saved. It doesn't say He will save you. It is said that you'd wonder what method He would uh, use if He said that. He will save you. If that's all you knew that He will save you, you'd wonder what method He wanted to use, right? But since His method is past tense and you believe it, you must stop. You must cease. As so, God's power is made perfect in our weakness, Paul said. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my weaknesses, not infirmities, because it's the exact same Greek word, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So he glories in his weaknesses so that the power of Christ would rest upon him. And that's the way a child is. They have all the power of Daddy because He is the provider. He is the deliverer. He is the Savior. He takes care of it, and He takes care of it all. And they don't think it should be any other way. And we should be that way too. We've been trained to think otherwise, to be grown-ups. But we shouldn't be thinking in any other terms than the way a child thinks. This is the way God wants it. I think that we can see by now that the verse, God helps those that help themselves, is not godly at all. It's antichrist. It will never allow you to enter the power of God, the very thing you need to enter the kingdom in all ways and to walk as he walked. It will never allow the spirit and the power of Christ to rest upon you. So, Paul says he glories in his weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon him. Wow. There you go. Bragging on his weaknesses, but he's saying this so that the power of Christ can rest upon him. Yes, we take pleasure in weaknesses. It's uh, great to be weak. It's great to not have the ability to deliver yourself because then you get to see the miracle of God. And he went on to say, in injuries. But the word there is insults. According to the ancient manuscripts and the received text and several others, not necessarily injuries. You don't take pleasure in injuries, but in insults, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Second Corinthians 12 and 10. 
He's talking about the places where he was weak to save himself. When we get into places where we don't see any possibility of saving ourselves, that's wonderful because we get to see the power of God. If we walk by faith in those places, uh, then we get to see the miracles of God. That's what God wants to teach us. He brings us into those places. Uh, remember, God was the one who sent this angel of Satan to humble Paul. Why do we need humbling? We need humbling because we're grown-ups. And we need to become children. We need to be humble. We need to not be self-sufficient. We need to be God-sufficient. And we need to be trusting in the Lord because His promises are in the Word to save us in all of these situations. So God brings us into these places and Satan's angel brings us into these places where we're weak and where we need the power of God. And if we will be weak, we will see the power of God. Many times we want to look for man's help, man's way, man's wisdom. Being weak is not a time to be anxious or worried. It's a time when you should expect to see the power of God. It's God's purpose to bring us to weakness, for us to see His power. That's His plan. Don't ever be cast down because of what you see, because what you see is the places that tempt you to be strong in the flesh. It's God's plan for you when you get into these places that you will put your trust in Him and that you see His power. This is the place where God's power rests upon you. This place of weakness this place of your own inability to save yourself or deliver yourself is the place you can look for the promise of God and trust in Him. That's why He sent them into a wilderness. It was a place that could not sustain their life, their health, their food, everything. Right? But He provided out of heaven their weakness was a place for His power. Thank God for the places that He brings us to where we're weak to self. That's the only place we ever see miracles. It's the only place we ever see miracles, and yet that is the place we're most tempted to throw up our hands and be anxious, worried, or troubled. This is the place where all miracles are given, right there in a place of weakness, the place where you're unable and you must lean on God. Now, if you have the mind of a child and you get in that place, you just expect Father to take over from then on. And this is something that He normally does. God normally supplies your need, like in the teaching Jesus gave about the birds and the flowers. He said they don't labor. And they don't toil to clothe and to feed themselves, according to Matthew six twenty six and 28. 
And the Lord is saying, you don't have to work to bring about this clothing and feeding. You don't have to toil. It's so clear. He knew that we'd get ourselves into situations, and he uh, even ordained these situations to come where we would be able to provide for ourselves. And suppose, you know, you come to the place where it spoke of the mark of the beast. If you didn't have the mark of the beast, you couldn't buy or sell. That's a place of weakness. Guess what? That's how it was in the wilderness. So he fed them. Amen. And he said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them shall fall on the ground without your father. That's Matthew 10 and 29. And 30 says this, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Ooh. And 31. Uh, Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So, not even a hair falls out of your head that God doesn't know it. He knows us so intimately that not one hair can fall out of our head without Him knowing it. I mean, our hairs are always falling out and growing back, sometimes. (laughs) How can he number the hairs of your head at any given day? Look on your hairbrush, you know, any given day. So that's uh, an intimate God who can number the hairs of your head. Is that not awesome? He knows a lot. (laughs) So how could we possibly get into a situation that he doesn't know about and hasn't planned for? He is our Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You can't get so far out that God can't reach you. You can't get in such an impossible situation that he can't take care of it. He can pay your taxes out of a fish's mouth. Matthew 17 and 27. Think about some of the things that God has done in the Scriptures. And he really did do them. He stopped the solar system for a day so Joshua could defeat his enemies. God can do anything. And the great thing about it is he's the same yesterday, today, yea, and forever. And this is what the apostates don't believe about him. He is the same today. They've made a new God who is weak and powerless, and I mean in the power of God. So uh, he's the same. He will still do anything to meet your needs if you will be weak and have faith. Now the time when you ought to have faith is when You're weak because God doesn't need to meet your needs when you don't have needs. You don't need a miracle until you need a miracle. Don't think that you can avoid a trial of your faith by receiving the miracle before you need it. No, God tries your faith. The miracle doesn't come till the miracle is needed. Trust in Him between here and there, because He will be there. 
He will do what you need. Be confident in Him. Be children in Him. And this is what we need to learn, and it's not an easy lesson. It demands the death of self. But religion has trained us up with the mind of the beast because religion has taught that God helps those that help themselves. And it trains us to take care of these situations. And it's always totally inferior to what God would do. If it happens at all. Because there's quite often failure. Well, religion trains us to trust in the arm of the flesh. They even changed God into a God with a little g, which he has never been, so that they can trust in the arm of the flesh. Apostates limit God's ability to heal by doctors who don't know God or medicine, which is pharmakia. Now, God does it this way, they say, as if Jesus doesn't heal the same way he always healed, (laughs) by laying hands on the sick or by speaking the word of faith. That's the same way he's always healed. And he still does it that way because he's the same yesterday, today, yea, and forever. Uh, So they've changed God so that you can trust in the arm of the flesh, so that you can be strong. You can run out and get the strength of the world, make your alliances with the world, get your insurance from the world. They'll change God to go to any extent to let the flesh live. Now, those who trusted in their preachers and doctors took the vaccine and are sick or dead. What a rebuke to their doctrine. Suddenly their God makes so many mistakes. Oh, they say, well, now he just uses the doctors, you know, but they'll rebuke you if you walk by faith. So they've got to admit their God makes a lot of mistakes if they've limited him to doctors because he's killing an awful lot of people here. But we must become as a child. Otherwise, Jesus says, you're not entering into the kingdom of heaven, Luke 18 and 17. And to become as a child is entering into the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is where God rules, reigns, saves, delivers. He hasn't changed. We have attempted to change him. God put us here in this weak position. He planned for us always to be in a weak position so that He could be our Savior. 2 Corinthians 4 and 7. But we have this treasure, and that's the treasure Paul is talking about, is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. So, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the exceeding greatness of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. So he put us in a weak place on purpose so we would have to lean on his power. God put this treasure, this knowledge of God, this light, in such a weak vessel so that when anything happened, it would have to bring glory to him and not us. He could have put us in a strong vessel. 
He could have put us in a very knowledgeable, very wise, very strong, very healthy vessel, and we wouldn't have needed his help. He would have needed to be God. He wouldn't have needed to be God. So, we would have been in, uh, we would have been our own gods, basically, with a little g. And if we watch all the children's superheroes, uh, we would notice the thing that supers, uh, heroes do is, uh, they are their own gods. They do what they want to do. And they're able to do everything. Well, that's not what God ever wanted. God didn't choose us because we are able. He chose us because we're not able. He wanted to give us freely His ability through grace, which is unearned. And it's given to incapable people. It's God's favor. You can't buy it. You can't pay for it. You can't do anything to get it. It's given by grace. And it's the mercy of God. Uh, You can't earn it. And you can't pay for it. And that's why some people put the cart in front of the horse. They say, well, if I don't take this medicine, God will heal me. No, no. The only reason for you to not take the medicine is because God has already healed you, which is what the Bible says. And if you believe that, you cease. You enter into rest. You just praise God. And His power is there. He wants to give to us freely. He tells us to give freely, too. So when you get yourself in an impossible situation, think about it. God put you there. And He put you there so that you could see how great He is. So God put this wonderful treasure in an earthen vessel, a very weak vessel. Second Corinthians 4 and 8. We are pressed on every side, yet not straightened, perplexed, yet not unto despair, pursued, yet not forsaken, smitten down, yet not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of Jesus, which is the death of self, right? So that the life also of Jesus may be manifested in our body. That powerful Jesus don't show up until the crucifixion of the old man. And that's when you tell him, no, I'm not going to do it your way. I am resting in God. He says he's already done it. So God wants Jesus to live through us, but we must be weak for him to do that. The power of Christ will rest upon those who are weak. We're powerful only because we have faith in God. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Philippians 4 and 13. But he doesn't strengthen until you're weak. Second Corinthians 12 and 19. And he has said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Yes, we can do nothing without Him. 
but we can do all things through Him. Amen? We must cease before He will start. We must keep the spiritual Sabbath, cease from our works, and enter into His works through faith. God uh, only puts us in a world that was bigger than us and with an enemy that's a lot bigger than us. And he's also put us in a vessel that was weak to begin with so that when the salvation came, we would know it was from him and not from ourselves. We think that we're so great and that we've been trained to be self-sufficient Mamas and daddies train up their children to be self-sufficient. That's not what God wants. He wants a child. He always chooses uh, the weak children to show his power. 1 Corinthians 26 through 29. Never has he chosen the strong. And this gives you hope that when you get in impossible situations, God planned for you to be there so that he could show you his power, so that he could show you his deliverance and his salvation. So this is God's plan. It's been his plan from the beginning, and he's done it over and over. Deuteronomy 7 and 6 says, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a people for his own possession, above all the peoples that are upon the face of the earth. And did you know that God still does that? God has still chosen you above all the peoples that are on the face of the earth. And if He chose you, He chose you above someone else. But He didn't choose you because you're wiser or smarter or more able or mighty because not many mighty, not many noble are called. That's not what he's looking for. 1 Corinthians one twenty five proves it. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, even Ai. <laughs> and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For behold your calling, brother, Brethren, so now he's telling you what kind of people he calls. Not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Huh. Because they're all self-made people, you know. They don't need any help. They don't need any God. All of their works are through men and through the power of man. But God chose the foolish of the world that he might put to shame them that are wise and he chose the weak of the world. Things was not in these cases because it's no numeric pattern in it. It's not things he's talking about. It's people. He chose the weak of the world that he might put to shame those that are strong. And the base of the world and the things that are despised, or them that are despised, literally, did God choose, yea, and them that are not, that he might bring to naught the things that are. He chose the things that are not, that he might bring to naught the things that are. What are the things that are not? It's the promise. The promises are not. When you need them, they are not. But he chooses that method to bring you to your provision. 29. 
so that no flesh should glory before God. Nobody will be able to brag because they know they didn't do it. But of Him are you in Christ Jesus, who was made unto us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So God chose the weak and called the weak above all peoples that are upon the face of the earth. In Deuteronomy 7 and 7, it says, The Lord did not set His love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all peoples. And it's still that way, isn't it? God chose the fewest of all peoples. Why did He do that? Certainly, if he was fighting battles with all of the Canaanites, he would want the greatest number, wouldn't he? No, because when the battle was won, he didn't want anybody to say, look what I did. And when the battle is won in our lives, he doesn't want anybody to be able to say, look what we did. Look how powerful we are. Look how wise we are. Or... We were smart enough to follow God. (laughs) So that's what we need to be, right? Well, no, God said He didn't choose us because we were the mightiest, but because we were the fewest. And it's still that way today. The true Christians are few. Don't think that Christians in this country are the many. Um, And actually, what do they call them? The moral majority. How ridiculous. That's just totally ridiculous. The proof of that is look at the people that we have in elected office. If there was a moral majority, uh, wouldn't they always be Christians? (laughs) Well, no, because a lot of Christians aren't Christians either. So you would always have a government that was moral. And good, because that's the way democracy works. There is no moral majority, and there never has been. Even most Christians are not in the moral majority. Say So God chose us because we were the fewest of all peoples. Deuteronomy 7 and 8. But because the Lord loveth you, and because he would keep the oath which he swear unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. If thou shalt say in thy heart, These nations were, were, are more than I, how can I dispossess them? Thou shalt not be afraid of them. Thou shalt well remember that, uh, what the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and unto all Egypt. Who who get credit for that now? Who gets credit for parting the Red Sea? So, it goes on, verse 19, The great trials which thine eyes saw, and the signs, and the wonders, and the mighty hand, and the outstretched arm, whereby the Lord thy God brought thee out, so shall the Lord thy God do unto all the peoples of whom thou art afraid. And so shall the Lord thy God do to all of the curse that you come against, and to all of the flesh that you have to conquer, 
and to all of the principalities and powers that you have to conquer. They are made strong, and you are made weak for a purpose, so that you can see the power of God move against them. God's in the humbling process with us. He wants to deliver us from trusting in the arm of the flesh. Cursed is the man that that trusteth in men and maketh the flesh his arm, we're told. In almost every battle that Israel won, they were outnumbered. Isn't it amazing that God demanded that they be outnumbered before he would give them the victory? For example, in Judges, we're told that the Israelites had an army coming against them that the Bible says were as the sands of the sea for multitude. That was in Judges chapter 7. The Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were coming against them, and all the men of Israel who could be gathered together weren't enough to do the job, and they knew it. At first they were counting on their own ability, and the numbers that they had, but they were ridiculously outnumbered. (laughs) Judges 7 and 2. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. Well, that was just the beginning of God whittling down the people, and those people who are fearful will not be the ones uh, who have the victory over the enemy, obviously. So, being weak is one thing, but being fearful is quite another. Being fearful is not trusting in the power that God has given us to come against our enemy. Being fearful is judging by your own ability. It's looking at your own ability or your own inability, but that's where God is putting us on uh, purpose. This is God's plan to put us in a position of weakness and to make our enemy look big. He sent the Israelites into a promised land where the enemies were giants. (laughs) And they were vastly outnumbered. It was God's plan for it to look like an unfair contest. And in every trial that we go through, it's going to look that way. So that we... When we get the victory, know it's God's power and not our own. Amen. Those that judged the giants to be too big a job came back and brought a bad report. But those that said, no, this is what God said, Joshua and Caleb, they entered into the promised land in their physical bodies. The rest of them died in the wilderness. Okay. Well, God's showing us His power. He wants us to put our trust in Him. And when we get in an impossible situation, that's good. When the odds are against you, 
They're in your favor. <laughs> it's good when you get in a position you can't do anything. There are people out there who are sick, and you can't do anything about it. And even maybe even men have given up on you, but you can't do anything about it. Well, you're in a good position for the power of God. Cease from striving. Put your trust in Him, because by His stripes you were healed. As a matter of fact, He supplies your every need according to His riches and glory. Whatever your need is, He's got the answer. Turn to God. You're in an impossible situation? Turn to God and believe Him. Jesus said, All things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe you received them, and you shall have them. Now that's rest. That's rest from your works. You don't have to worry about it anymore. You've put it in God's hand. It's on the altar. You're not taking it back because you believe you've received. Right? Oh, praise the Lord. Ain't God good? He, he's not creating of us men. <laughs> We've already been there. He's creating of us Sons of God. What does the Son of God look like? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. And why did Jesus have that power? He trusted like a little child in his Father. And we, too, have to become as little children trusting in our Father. Oh, glory to God. He has all the power. And he puts us in a position where we can use none of ours, or it all fails. All of the people who went out there trusting in the vaccine, trusting in man's ways, when the people who made the vaccine were depopulationists. Yeah. How can you trust in that? How can you trust in carnal man to dispense the gifts of God? Some people say he does it that way now. No, he never did that before. He sent his disciples who he trained out to dispense the blessings and the provisions of God. He didn't do what men say he does. They have changed God to be in their own image so that they don't have to change. But you see, the way of that leads to death. You don't come into His image and you do not bear fruit. What is the fruit that we're supposed to bear? Jesus. Jesus. We're to walk in His steps. That's what a disciple is. A learner and a follower. They study the Master. They walk in His steps. So this is what we're called to do. We're called to come into the image of Jesus Christ. What can Jesus do in the earth? Well, what could the original Jesus do in the earth? And what could his disciples do before they met him and learned of his ways? Hmm. So, one Jesus can outperform <laughs> thousands of men. And in most cases, it's impossible for them even. You know, one Jesus. That's why we uh, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. 
And that's why all these things will be added unto us. See, some people are doing without, but they don't have to. They can have God's provision. But he comes to weak people because they refuse to use their own minimal strength to go after their needs. Instead, they take hold of God's power and they glory in His weaknesses, in our weaknesses, so that His power can be upon us. Amen? Oh, hallelujah. This is so good. We thank You so much, Lord, for Your provision for Your people. Thank You, Lord, that um, everything You have said in the book is true. It's true already. And it is finished. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Amen. All right. Thank you for joining us today. God bless you and keep you. We'll do this again sometime. But I'll say goodbye for now. And go to God and just pray and believe. Do what he said in Mark 11 and 24, and you will have power. Amen. My thirsting soul, purest water made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus. I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus.